This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 146 of the Dressage Radio Show, brought to you with the generous support of Draper Therapies. Welcome to the program. On this week's show, we report on the announcement by the International Equestrian Federation to initiate suspension proceedings against the International Dressage Riders Club. And we'll be getting both sides of that story shortly. But before we get to that, we're going to take a moment to hear from a new sponsor here on the show, Draper Therapies. Well, joining me now is Kat Wojtelak, who is the product manager for Draper. Um, Kat, first of all, welcome to the show. Great to have you part of the dressage radio show now well thank you i'm glad to be here well tell us a little bit about your role with draper because you've been with draper therapist a little while now haven't you yeah i've been with draper quite a few years now and it's been a wonderful experience Um, my role is basically that i am the horse expert in face of draper therapies and what that really means is my background is all in horses i went to school for it i've you know, traveled all over the country, learning from experts in the field, you know, eventing, sales, marketing, the whole nine yards. So I've got a really great background that I'm able to share with Draper Therapies and its customers and products. Um, And then I just, I'm the one who travels all around everywhere, who gets to meet people, gets to go to the shows, talk about our products. And it's really quite fun for me because I get to do so much with the company. Talk about horses, which I'm sure you're like anybody who works in the horse industry. You're only too happy to, you have get both ends of the pie here, don't you? I absolutely do. That's (laughs) why I love my job so much. I get to be in the office and at the same time that I get to go out in the barn and, you know, try new products out, kind of see what's going on out in the industry. And then the best part I love is I get to go to all these shows that I never thought I'd be able to afford or ever, you know, be able to go to. So it's really, really exciting. Well, as we said, Draper Therapist does so many different products now. So give us an introduction uh, to set up this piece, Kat, because you're going to be joining us now each month. And uh, we want to know a little bit more about Draper Therapist. Sure. Um, Draper Therapies, for the most part, is just a therapeutic line of clothing for horses, dogs, and humans. And what that really means is that the therapeutic value in the products is made by Salient, and Salient has been proven to increase circulation and reduce pain. Now, in you know, in terms, it basically helps to reduce pain. It helps to get rid of swelling. It helps you just overall to feel better. And the really great part about it is is that all of our claims are backed up by science. So when we say, you know, it helps you get a better night's sleep, we actually have a study that says you get a better night's sleep when we use the product. So it's very exciting because if you have something wrong with you, then there's definitely benefits for you. But if you don't have something wrong with you, there's subtle benefits that you can experience as well. That's nice. Does that good night's sleep apply to the horses as well as humans, Kat? We absolutely think so. The studies have all been done on humans, so we don't have any of the studies done on horses yet. We've been pushing to get it done, but it's it's hard because horses can't speak, so you have to be very careful when you go into a clinical setting because like a wound study, you wouldn't be able to inflict a wound on a horse. So we have to be very careful of approaching that. So we're in kind of final stages that's still looking at some schools in order to get that done. But humans-wise, you have to say, you know, there's got to be something to it if we're going through all these rigorous tests with 
you know, humans and they're sleeping better, there's got to be a benefit for the horses as well. So. They don't always help us, do they, by laying down to go to sleep to make it obvious. Ex- <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But I do know at home I've got pads that I usually like when we were doing our dressage pad, for example, when I was trialing them out and kind of comparing them to all the other pads on the market, the cats that I have at home would flock to the Draper pad. They wouldn't go lay on any other pad, but it was always about the Draper pad, which I thought was, it speaks for itself. So, Well, give us a, an idea of the selection of products that you have, Kat. Sure. Um, for horses, we have everything from um, wraps. We have different um, polo wraps, and then we have standing bandages, great for overnight um, keep. And then we have saddle pads, um, blankets, Hawk boots. So that's all for the horses. And then for humans, we've got blankets, T-shirts, socks, supports. Um, and then we've got dog products, too. So we've got a whole line of beds, coats, and blankets for them, too. And how do people find out more about these products, and where can they buy them? Um, if you just uh, log on to drapertherapies.com, you can go look through our entire selection that we have available, or you can just write us. Um, and we'll be happy to send you a catalog. And we, all of our retailers are listed on our website as well, so you can find somebody who's hopefully close to you to get the Draper products. Well, wonderful. That is drapertherapies.com, and uh, you're going to be coming on the show regularly. So tell us what we can expect when uh, you visit us again, Kat. Well, we're hoping to feature some products, tell you a little bit more in depth about some of the products that have been really great sellers and kind of what our customers have been talking about in regards to them. We'll also be featuring some of our riders who are very well known in the industry to talk a little bit more about what they're experiencing so you hear it from a different perspective as well. Wonderful. Well, we're looking forward to that. And again, big welcome to you to the Dressage Radio Show and we look forward to our partnership with Draper Therapies. Well, thank you very much. We're very happy to be a part of it. The topic of this week's show follows a recent announcement by the International Equestrian Federation's Bureau that they have initiated suspension proceedings against the International Dressage Riders Club as an FEI associate member, and that they claim is due to the club's apparent lack of respect for the fundamental principles of good governance. In particular, the club's removal of two of its members without an opportunity to be heard and its ongoing refusal to reinstate them. Well, Lisa Lazarus is the General Counsel for the International Equestrian Federation, and she joins me now. Lisa, can we just start by giving a little bit of background to this story? First of all, what is an FEI associate member? Well, first of all, thank you, Chris, for, for having me on the show, and I'm, I'm happy to, to be here and explain that. Um, as you may know, just to answer your question about the associate member, the, the FEI is made up of General Assembly of 133 national federations, and those are our, those are our, our core members. However, we do allow um, and do approve associate members who are not necessarily national federations, but have a key role in equestrian sport globally. So, yeah, as appropriate for today's today's interview, uh, a riders club can apply for and, and become an associate member. Um, we do have some some FEI. This is some disciplines that are more national disciplines uh, that are not official FEI disciplines that we do also approve as associate members. You know, any basically stakeholder group that isn't in a position to be a full member as a national federation but wants to be part of the FEI community and have a voice. 
How do they go about that then, Lisa, and, and who determines the representation from that associate member on any FEI committees? Well, I mean, because we have many, many associate members and because their roles and um, and positions within the FEI vary so dramatically, um, it's really very situation-specific. But the way that they go about associate members are approved by the FEI General Assembly, and uh, and there are only very few associate members that are actually um, entitled to have a position on, a, on an official FEI committee. Uh, in particular, the, the FEI dressage committee that's the subject um, of today's interview, they do have on the FEI dressage committee an athlete representative. Now, that athlete representative uh, has to be a member. If there, is an, if there is an officially recognized athlete representative organization, like the International Dressage Riders Club, that athlete representative has to be a member of that association in order to be appointed to the dressage committee. And who appoints them? Uh, the FEI Bureau would appoint them. So the organization itself would not appoint its representative? Well, it's a really interesting question uh, because that, that is sort of really the beginning point for how the dispute between the FEI and the IDRC arose. Um, the FEI statutes make clear that there are really four bodies that can propose the athlete representative on the dressage committee. And those are the committee itself, the FEI Bureau, national federations, and if there is an athlete-recognized um, organization like the IDRC, the IDRC itself. And on October 6, 2011, the IDRC actually launched an official appeal challenging the interpretation of, that, of the statutes, which is 29.10, but the one that addresses who can propose the athlete representative on the dressage committee. And that appeal specifically challenged the question of who can propose candidates. And the IDRC claimed that they had the exclusive right. So in other words, if the IDRC said this is our candidate, that's the candidate the FEI Bureau would have to appoint to the committee. And um, that appeal went to a uh, hearing before the FEI Tribunal on November 3, 2011 in Frankfurt, Germany. The IDRC was represented by, by their legal counsel, and the FEI was represented by me. Uh, the hearing was held before Tribunal Chair Jens Adolfsen, who is um, of German nationality. And the decision was issued on November 7th. It was, it was issued very quickly because the IDRC asked for an expedited process, given that this was be going to the General Assembly in Rio um, later in November. And the tribunal held that, in fact, the statutes did allow for four stakeholder groups to propose candidates. But the, the decision did confirm that the ultimate candidate that was appointed by the Bureau would have to be a member of the IDRC, but not necessarily proposed by it. So where that left us, just, from a, just to give you some context here, is that left at that point in time on November 7th when the decision was issued, it left uh, three candidates to be who, who were applying for this position as the athlete representative. And they were the IDRC's proposed candidate, and then there was a candidate proposed by the Spanish National Federation and a candidate proposed by the Colombian National Federation. And, and just to also just clarify one other point of process is that the IDRC would have had the chance to appeal that decision to the Court of Arbitration for Sport in Lausanne, 
within 30 days. So they would have been able to appeal it by December 7th, 2011, and they chose not to appeal it. So that decision does stand. Right, but um, just explain to us then how this has come to the point where the FEI is having to initiate the uh, suspension against them. And, and if you would, Lisa, uh, I, I'm reading the press release here, you quote, a lack of respect for the fundamental principles of good governance. Uh, unwrap that a little bit for us, would you? Sure, I'd be happy to. I do just want to say from the outset, though, that the FEI certainly regrets to be in this position with the IDRC. You know, we very much value our riders. We value uh, their voice, and we think having an athlete voice on the dressage committee is critical. We continue to hope that we can resolve this amicably. But unfortunately, you know, the FEI made very many sincere and reasonable efforts to resolve it, but were unable to. And I'll explain that for you a little bit and then, as you said, unwrap the, the governance question. So while this legal process um, was going through the, the different steps, as I just explained a moment ago, um, the IDRC decided to pursue a different track as well. And what they did was they, they filed their appeal on October 6, 2011, as I explained. And so that was going through all of the necessary channels, legal submissions, before it got to the hearing in, in Germany on November 3rd. And at the same time, simultaneous to that official legal process, the IDRC called a general assembly uh, for October 30th, 2011. And what they did at that general assembly was that they put statutes forward to the members that were present that had never been circulated before to any of their members and asked the members to vote on those statutes. And what's important to understand is that those statutes were changed in a very meaningful way with regards to membership and how you actually revoke or kick out a member. And specifically, the previous statutes, the ones that were in effect and the ones that were actually um, provided to the, to the FEI, uh, specifically said that before a member could be excluded, they had to have the possibility of a hearing before the executive board. This is a very important important thing. We call it sort of in the legal world the right to be heard, and it's fundamental to any legal system, and it's actually required under Swiss law and under most you know, U.S. legal uh, regulatory bodies as well. And what happened here was that with these new statutes that were never provided prior to, to any members, they were voted on on that day, and they specifically said, the new statute said that the General Assembly could revoke the membership status of any member on its own motion. And so what they did at that General Assembly was they passed the statutes then immediately revoked the membership status of the two members, the one from Spain and the one from Colombia that I referenced earlier, that were running against the IDRC's proposed candidate. And by doing that, what they did was they obviously stripped their eligibility to run against the IDRC proposed candidate and theoretically left the IDRC proposed candidate as the only candidate um, who was eligible to be appointed. And from the FBI standpoint, that's obviously a tremendous violation. And in particular, once those members were informed that they were no longer members of the IDRC, what they did was they filed for this right to be heard before the executive board and were told that, first, there were new statutes in effect, but also that the possibility of the hearing before the executive board was in the discretion of the IDRC, not at the member's option. 
And so, in fact, they would not be heard by the executive board. And then the Brazilian nominee actually took it a step further and tried to file for arbitration under the arbitration clause in the uh, IDRC statutes, which, you know, from my reading, and I think any, any legal, legally reasonable reading, he certainly would have been entitled to. But he was also told that he did not have a right to file for arbitration and would not be heard. So what ended up happening was that you have statutes not provided in advance that were changed in the same day they were proposed. And then immediately, the two candidates who were running against the IDRC candidate were excluded from membership. And the last point I'll make on this, which I think is, is important for everyone to understand, is that the IDRC only has two criteria for membership. One is you have to participate in at least one CDI, and the second is you pay your fee. And there's certainly nowhere in their rules that, that says that standing against an IDRC proposed candidate is a basis for removing uh, your membership status in the IDRC. So given, given that and given the fact that there was no chance to be heard by these members, what happened from the FEI's perspective is this all sort of culminated right before the General Assembly in Rio, where the appointment by the FEI Bureau would have taken place. And so what happened was that the FEI Bureau, prior to, um, prior to actually making the appointment, the, uh, I don't know how familiar you are with the General Assemblies, but we, we always have a couple days before the actual General Assembly where stakeholders get together and discuss issues. It's obviously a good opportunity since people are, are, are in one place from different areas of the world and have the chance to meet and sit together. And um, one thing that's always been part of the process is regional groups. The FBI is divided into nine regional groups. Uh, that are ge geographically divided, and they sit together and discuss the issues that are um, important for their group at that point in time. Then they have the chance the day after the group meetings to present those compelling issues to the FEI Bureau for consideration. And what happened at the General Assembly is once this all sort of culminated and the individual groups were aware of what had transpired, Groups one and two, which form Western Europe and include Spain, which had uh, one of the candidates that was running against or proposed by the Spanish Federation, um, presented to the FEI Bureau following their meetings and uh, explained that they had resolved as a group, or as, as groups one and two, so really two groups, that if the, if the IDRC did not agree to reinstate the removed members, that the FEI should initiate proceedings to remove their associate membership status or to revoke their associate membership status. And then similarly, groups four, five, and six, which include the U.S., Canada, and then um, you know, Latin America and South America, uh, made a similar request, but they actually didn't make it conditional. They specifically said, we want the FBI to initiate suspension proceedings against the, or, or, or removal proceedings against the IDRC given this behavior and these, these governance violations. And I'll also point out that, of course, uh, the Colombian candidate came from, came from, from, from that, that regional group as well. So what we had then was a majority of national federations that formed the General Assembly uh, seeking specifically for the FEI to take some sort of action against the IDRC given what, what they considered to be very serious governance violations. So following that, what the, what the FBI did, and this was over a period of months, as you may know, the General Assembly was um, in uh, mid-November. The specific date was November 15th. Um, so following November 15th and up until the date that the FBI Bureau resolved to initiate suspension proceedings against the IDRC, 
the FBI and the IDRC were in, engaged in, you know, lengthy correspondence, at least one in-person meeting in an effort to try to resolve the issue. What the FBI's position has been all along um, is we just want you to fix this. We just want you to restore these two members to membership status to make sure you have a right to be heard for anyone who has any meaningful right deprived of them in your organization, such as membership, because these are these are standards that are part of not only the FEI ethos and philosophy, but are critical regulatory issues in any in any well run organization or fairly run organization. But we've said all along that if you do that we will look to reopen um, the process for the nomination of candidates so that if you want to propose a different candidate, we can consider a different candidate. And the reason why that's important is that the part of, really this was all, tr- the issue came to light when the IDRC realized the nominations committee had not recommended their candidate to the FBI Bureau. I should probably explain that the way the process works is when the candidate, once the candidates are proposed, the FBI has an internal nominations committee that vets all of the candidates for, for each position and provides a recommendation to the FBI Bureau. The reason we do that is because, and the nominations committee is, is comprised of one member from every regional group in the FBI, so it's nine, nine people with one chair to reflect the nine regional groups. And as you can imagine, we have many, many committees and many candidacies and many positions. What they, de- what they essentially do is the legwork for the FBI Bureau. They provide they look at all the candidacies, they look at the qualifications, and they provide recommendations. The FBI Bureau is not bound by those recommendations. It obviously considers them, probably relies on them considerably, but is not bound by them as a, as a matter of law. And what happened here was that the nominations committee did not recommend the, um, the IDRC proposed candidate because um, the IDRC proposed candidate is from a national federation that is already represented on the dressage committee. In 2009, the, the FBI Dressage Task Force, which was charged to look at all the important and significant issues in, in dressage, looked at the question of growing the sport globally. Obviously, we're an international federation, so we have a global remit. And one of the conclusions that they came to was a recommendation that since there are only six members or committee members on the dressage committee, that each member be from a different, different nationality. Because, of course, if you're going to grow the score globally, to have one-third of the members from the same nationality is probably not consistent with those, with, with those objectives to grow the sport internationally. And so when it became apparent that the IDRC's proposed candidate was the same nationality as a member who was already on the dressage committee, the nominations committee uh, recommended somebody else. It recommended the Spanish candidate, actually. And it was once the IDRC recognized and I guess was concerned that the FBI Bureau would adopt the nominations committee recommendation is why all of, why all of this began. But as I said, the FBI's position has been clear recently, which is if you fix these governance problems and you reinstate the members, um, you know, we'll look to work with you to find a candidate that is suitable from both of our perspectives. Would the, when uh, the IDRC applied to be an associate member or were invited, I'm not sure which way around that mm-hmm. happened. Uh, the FEI would have looked at their statutes. Would they? Correct. Would they have been obviously approved at that time? Mm-hmm. So they were accepted as an associate member based on the statutes they had at application. Correct. And those statutes we're still very happy with. The problem is that they changed those statutes on October 30th 
took away the right to be heard and did so in a manner that didn't give any any of their members a chance to comment, react, or debate. I mean, if you look at the FBI governance process, when we provide uh, regulatory or rule changes to be voted on at our General Assembly, they go out months in advance, and we have a long stakeholder review period and comments. I'm not suggesting that the IDRC, being smaller, should have the same process, but we have many levels of chances to review, and we, and we publish the comments we receive, and six weeks before, or four weeks before the General Assembly, national federations get the final version that's going to be voted on at the General Assembly. So it's really you know, quite shocking if you're in that regulatory world to think that you would propose new statutes at, at, at a meeting and then vote on those new statutes at the very same meeting. Now, I understand that the IDRC has actually agreed to change their statutes in line with your thinking now, mm-hmm. even before they were asked to. Is that not acceptable to the FEI? No, we're very happy with that. Um, the problem, though, is that it doesn't, it doesn't cure the situations of these two, uh, these two members from Spain and from Colombia who were removed from membership without a chance to be heard and, in our view, for you know, an, an inappropriate basis or a basis that's not allowed for by their rules. And we have an obligation you know, to, those, to those removed members because they, they come from national federations who are very concerned and who form part of the General Assembly. My understanding is, Lisa, that those two members were not eligible athletes at the time to be representatives. So it would have been a mute point anyway. You know, it's a really. I read that recently, and I thought was a really. I was really thought that was a strange comment. Um, it's not. That's really not true, or nor relevant for for two reasons. Really, the first is that the the time period that's relevant for the consideration is at the time that the FEI Bureau appoints the member. So that's what we look at. What at the time the FEI Bureau looks at the qualifications, that's when we determine whether or not the particular candidate meets the qualifications. But the second point I'll make is, you know, I explained earlier that the IDRC filed an appeal on October 6, 2011. And during that appeal process, um, we had submissions, legal submissions, written submissions from both sides. And in those legal submissions, the IDRC said very clearly, it's understood that such candidates are members of the IDRC. So persons of that legal proceeding, they acknowledged the membership of these of these members, and we all said it was common ground that they were all members and were eligible from that standpoint. And that's, I believe, you know, why the events that took place on October 30th, the General Assembly, happened. So this is a new a new comment, and I think, again, as I said, originally this was not the position of the IDRC, and in any event, even if it was, the relevant time period is when the bureau appoints the members, not at the time of application. So moving forward now, Lisa, what are the next steps in this process? And do you see a potential resolution given the changes that the IDRC has made to its statutes and its position here that that you could reach an agreement before you get to the courts, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, we still very much hope that we will be able to reach an agreement. Um, All we want is for the IDRC to do the right thing uh, with these members, to give them a right to be heard, um, a right to present their position as anyone is entitled to in any organization if they're deprived of a, of a key right. Um, and then in terms of, of next steps, 
uh, the we, the IDRC um, received uh, a letter from from the FBI Secretary General uh, earlier this week, uh, informing the, Secre- the the president of the IDRC that the FBI Bureau had reached a resolution to initiate suspension proceedings against the IDRC, and invited the IDRC to be heard. Um, before the FBI Bureau at the FBI Bureau's meeting, annual in-person meeting in early June. Um, you know, for the FBI, the right to be heard is fundamental, so we would never move forward with suspensions unless we actually gave an organization or, or any person or entity the right to be heard. So we've, that invitation is out there. We're waiting for the IDRC to respond uh, to let us know whether or not they plan to to uh, accept that invitation and to actually uh, be heard in early June. We've also invited them to provide any legal submission or written explanation that they would like to provide for the FBI Bureau. And um, and then my expectation is that they will want to be heard and they will, like as, as anybody would, and will want to, to be able to address the FBI Bureau in early June. And assuming they do so, the FBI Bureau will then listen, listen to, to what they have to say and take a decision shortly thereafter. And during this whole process, we the decision was made by the FBI Bureau to refrain from appointing the other representative until the process was concluded. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show, Lisa, and giving the FBI's uh, position on this. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Joining me now is Wayne Channon, who is the Secretary General of the International Dressages Riders Club. Uh, Wayne, could you give us, first of all, a little bit of background to this from the IDRC's perspective? Yes, of course. The, this whole issue started when the FEI invited invitations for the next member of the Dressage Committee. The IDRC has always had a member of the Dressage Committee. It's gone through almost on the nod. In fact, the way their statutes are written is they expect to have an athlete's representative on all of their technical committees. And we were surprised when we found that two national federations had proposed members that would represent dressage riders. We then uh, contacted the FEI and said, is this allowed? And we were told, yes, it is allowed. But that wasn't the reading that we had of their statutes. And in their statutes, they do make it quite clear that this is meant to be an athlete's representative, not a national federation's representative of athletes. So we appealed on this. And we, well, actually, I should give you one thing first. We asked the dressage committee what they were going to do, because from a practical point of view, if they'd said, we're going to go with the Riders Club nominee anyway, then whilst we would have not liked, the, the principle would have been wrong, but the, the practicality would have been we'd have had our representative there. The, the Dressage Committee did not tell us who, they're going to rep, who they, were, they were recommending. In fact, they said it was confidential. It was only when we got the invitation to the FEI General Assembly and the annexes that we saw in the annexes that they had in fact nominated um, uh, the Spanish nominee ahead of the IGRC nominee, which, by the way, was me. Now, we were very surprised at that, so we then wrote to the FEI and asked for this to be taken to the FEI tribunal. We went to the FEI tribunal, we put our case to them, and the we lost. The tribunal chairman was very 
straightforward about this. He said the drafting could be interpreted in the way the FEI says it should be interpreted, and it could be interpreted in the way we said it should be interpreted. But as it was drafted by non-native English-speaking people, which is incorrect in fact, it was drafted by Americans, then it could have been just it could have been misunderstood in the nuances of the English. And he took the view that because it was not totally clear, and that the FAI had said it wasn't clear, and that their really their meaning was, despite what it said, was what they meant, not what they said, then he had to go with the FEI. The legal advice that we received following that was we had extremely strong grounds for an appeal, and we should take this to CAS. However, the FEI CAS offered the... us... Oh, the, um, uh, the Court for of Arbitration for Sport. Yeah, the Court of Arbitration for Sport in Lausanne. And we decided not to because the FEI had said to us they would negotiate with us. And we took that in good faith. Since that point, though, since that moment, the FEI has not negotiated with us. They have had, uh, we've had several emails, three or four emails, and one meeting. And at the meeting, which was meant to be a negotiation, it wasn't a meeting, they told us what we would do, and we were instructed to go away and do it. Um, that's not really a negotiation. So we have, we do feel let down that they didn't properly negotiate with us. And the, the, the negotiation uh, really shouldn't be a negotiation in any event because the, what they did was they changed the, um, uh, the whole, um, actually I, I, I've missed a little bit out on this in the story. The, at our general assembly in Hohiameda, the this is the IDRC general assembly, we, I presented the, the problem to the, the members present at the general assembly, and they were outraged that the FEI should tell us who was going to represent us. The whole point of having the IDRC as an associate member of the FEI is so that we can decide, and we put off. We, we can decide what we want to say and put our views forward to the FEI dressage committee. We, would, we are only one member of six. Our views do not prevail unless the other five members agree with us, but at least we have the right to make our points. When it was seen that we would not be allowed to have our members, we, the, the, the General Assembly decided to remove the two members standing against our candidate on the basis that they were not acting in the best interests of riders, which I believe was absolutely right. Now, we weren't expecting that. We had no idea that the General Assembly would take such a strong view on it, but in retrospect, it, it's understandable. So what we were expecting was that the General Assembly would give the executive board the power to be able to remove the two members if it, appear, if it was necessary to do so. So our statutes were changed so that the, I, uh, the IDRC executive board could at some point in the future remove members, but only with the right to an appeal. Now, what the FEI hit on, and this is the crux of the FEI's point, is that we didn't have the right of appeal if the General Assembly decides something. Well, this is, this is a fair point, and it's not, but it wasn't a deliberate omission by us we never thought we'd ever be in this position. If we thought the General Assembly would have taken a decision like this, why wouldn't you have the right to an appeal? Of course you would. So when the, when the FEI wrote to us back in, I think it was November, just after their General Assembly, um, we, 
they said you must have a general, an appeal process for members excluded even by the General Assembly. We immediately said, yes, we agree. That's absolutely right. We were, we're very happy to do that. What they, did, what they didn't say, or what they didn't agree with us on, was that um, this appeal process must, well, has to be put in as though, um, well, that's the wrong way of putting it. They said that we have to accept both members back even though our statutes don't allow us to do that. So it, we had to act as though we had an appeal process, even though we didn't, for members excluded by the General Assembly. So we wrote to them and explained that we very much will we put this in, but we are not able to give these two members an appeal. What we will do is change our statutes so that they can appeal. The FEI didn't respond to that. They wrote back to us and said, you must reinstate these two members immediately, and if you do not, then we will look at um, removing the IDRC as a, uh, an associate member. So we took further legal advice. We've now had legal advice from two separate lawyers who both say, no, you followed correct process. You adopted your statutes in the correct way. The, you do not, the executive board does not have the power to reinstate the two members. The strategy that you have suggested, which is to reinstate, which is to change your articles and then reinstate the two members, is the right way to do it. I've got to say that the two members may not get reinstated. I mean, they would only be reinstated if the appeal was upheld. If, if, if the appeal goes with the IGRC General Assembly, then they would remain excluded. So the, ID, the FEI wrote to us um, a few, a few well, sometime in January, saying, again, demanding that we reinstate the two people um, and they must look as though they have never left the IDRC. So Kira Kirkland, our president, wrote back to them saying, ah, we understand now what you're looking for is that they will be reinstated as though they never had left. We have no problem with that. What we will now do is change our statutes so that we have an appeals process and that if their appeal is upheld, they will be reinstated as though they had never left. That answers all of your requirements, doesn't it? The next thing we hear is, that we are now going to be going through a procedure with the FEI Bureau where we will be um, excluded unless we presumably agree to what they want. It's banal. Um, I have no idea why the FEI Bureau has not been told that we have agreed to everything the FEI has wanted, it, wanted from us. We have not been able to do it in the way they would like us to do it. But at the end of the day, it's about getting the right result it's not about winning in a certain way. We have, a, as an executive board, we have a, a responsibility to our members and we have a responsibility in, in, in morality to, be, to uphold the, um, the statutes in a lawful way. And we will do that. So no matter what the threats from the FEI, we will have to do things in a lawful way. And that's where we stand. We will do that. The press release... Uh makes the statement that there is an apparent lack of respect for the fundamental principles of good governance and that there is an ongoing refusal by the IDRC to reinstate those two members. Wayne, what is your response to that? Um, it's, that, that is absolute rubbish. The, the, there, there is a fundamental um, disrespect for governance here, and it is the FEI. We have agreed since day one to change our statutes so that these members can be readmitted if their appeal is upheld. The FEI has ignored that. Instead, what they're doing is they're instructing us to do an unlawful act. 
That is not good governance. They should not be doing that. They should be acknowledging the fact that we have a, a technical problem to solve to meet their requirements. Then it will be okay. But they have never done that. And they've never explained why. They, we have also asked for an appeal to CAS on this whole issue because we know that if, an, if a body, an external body looks at this, they will find with us. There is nothing that we have done wrong. That, my, my view on this is what they are trying to do is change the whole subject from should riders be allowed to nominate their own representative on the dressage committee to one that they think they have a chance of winning. And I think they've got themselves into a lot of trouble with this and they're now scratching out ways to try and get out of it. This is really an uncomfortable position for them. How long has the IDRC been a, an associate member of the FEI? Um, since it was brought in about, I think, three years ago, two, three years ago. And what does the IRDC, IDRC consider to be the benefits of membership? Of there's, only, there's only one real benefit, and that is you have the right to nominate your member of the dressage committee. And they are saying that's not a right you have. So what benefit is there? Athletes must have the right to representation. And going forward now, Wayne, what steps are you taking uh, with the IDRC and, and, and what do you hope to be the outcome of this uh, that will be uh, satisfactory to your membership? Well, yesterday in um, Vidobain, the CDI in Vidobain, 70 dressage riders attended a meeting and they voted unanimously to support the IDRC in ensuring it has a member of the dressage committee. The, the, the riders believe they are fundamentally right in this. The, what we are doing as an executive board to get to the end of this is we are going to go and change our statutes because it is the right thing to do, even though the FEI has not agreed to us doing it. We will give them, of course, the statutes to look at, and then we will um, offer the two members the right of appeal if they wish to take them up. That is all the FEI can ask of us. That is the, sorry? So that will meet their uh, statement about your ongoing refusal to reinstate them. You are putting the machinery in place to enable yes. that. We've never, had, you see, that's, that's, that's just a, it is just a barefaced lie. We have never refused to reinstate them. What we have refused to do is reinstate them in the way in which the FEI has told us to reinstate them. It is not lawful. They are saying we have to break our statutes to reinstate them because they tell us to. I don't know. This is a very high-handed approach. The, the FEI does not rule the IDRC. They don't rule riders. They're meant to be representing us and governing our, the, the governing body of, 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 the, of the sport. It is unbelievable. It's inconceivable to me that this organization cannot understand and read perfectly simple English that our statutes will not allow us to do it. We've had two separate independent lawyers check this out without reference to each other. The advice has been the same. We cannot do what they want in the way they want it. We can easily do it in a different method. Why don't they just say, fine, get on with it? Just remind our listeners, Wayne, uh, what the membership of the IDRC is and uh, in terms of your numbers, and how do you become a member? What are the qualifications for membership? The, the qualifications for membership to start with are any international rider can become a full voting member. Any national rider, owner, or supporter of dressage can become an associate member. They will have the same voting rights as international dressage riders, with the exception 
that they can't change the statutes. That's left just for the full international dressage riders. We are a very Catholic organization. We want everybody to be a member. We want to hear the view from everybody. Joining is very straightforward. All they have to do is go to idrc.me, that's our website, and fill in the online application form. It will be done immediately. We do not exclude anyone. We do not want anybody to be excluded. Um, I've forgotten the first part of your question. Well, who actually... Uh, oh, how many members do we have? Yes, how many members, but who actually reviews the applications and, and do they have to have written in a CDI? Only as an international rider, yes. To be a full voting member, as an international rider, they have to have ridden in a CDI at either Pony, Juniors, Young Riders, or Seniors up to, from pre St. George up to Grand Prix. Um, anybody who has the proper qualification or can be invited to join. If it's somebody who's played an active, particularly active part, who's never ridden a CDI, they can also be invited by the executive board to become a full member. Um, we have, um, including full members and associate members, we have um, over 600 members now, I think. It's a massive number in dressage. And we, we're a very democratic organization. This is one of the strange things that the FBI is accusing us of. We have online voting. We have the ability for people to communicate directly to us. We communicate with every member, everything that comes up. We hold nothing back. And how is the member nominated to be representative on an FEI or any other body from the IDRC? The, um, any, any member of any um, committee is normally decided by the IDRC board. And we present any, if we are asked to join a committee, the IDRC board will be told about the invitation and they'll be given the right to, to join it if they would like to elect themselves. If none of them would like to be a member of it, or if there is somebody in our membership who may be better at it, then we would, the board will take a decision to invite um, somebody from inside our membership. So it's not keeping all the good things for the people who are, um, you know, who, do, who the good, good things for ourselves. It's can we, who can we get to play an active part? Um, to, so to take part in the IDC is very simple. It's just contact us to play a part at any level. Very simple. Just say you want to play a part. That's from secretarial duties right up to being on committees. We are a totally inclusive organization, and we don't have enough people wanting to do the work. This is for sure. Um, we need working members, not just members. And so when you say the board w mm -hmm. would choose the representative, say, for an FEI committee, how is yeah. that? process take 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 taking place uh, we write to or normally i get the invitation i write to the board and say um who do you suggest we could put forward to do this role and if there is more than one application for it we say we these these are the people can we do as um, a confidential vote well, hopefully this uh, will be resolved in the very near future. Uh, going forward, uh, Wayne, do you, w w by what time do you expect to see a resolution? Um, well, I'm not expecting it any time soon because, from experience, the FEI um, moves at a, in a very precise way, and they have said they will. We can meet the bureau in June, and between now and then, uh, I don't know what they're going to do. Um, it would be nice if there was more, more progress immediately because they have an improperly constituted 
Dressage Committee, under Article 6.5.2 of, of their own regulations, they have to have an athlete on the Dressage Committee, and they have not. So to, to be frank, we have asked to, I've mentioned we've asked to go to CAS on this. If they refuse us the right to go to CAS, Court of Arbitration for Sport, then we will um, ask to go to the FEI Tribunal. They have not responded on that, um, but they really should do, because they don't have the right to say no to that. Well, Wayne, thank you very much for giving us the IDRC's standpoint on this and uh, good luck with the future outcome of it. Thank you. And if you have an opinion on this subject, then please post your comments to our Facebook fan page. Just search for Dressage Radio over there. Or you can email me directly at chris at horseradionetwork.com. Just a couple of news items before I go this week, and that is that the final qualifications for the 2012 London Olympic Games have now closed as of March the 1st, and the full dressage list of nations is now published, and that comprises of 24 nations. The team competition will be contested by 11 teams, and remember, that contest now in the Olympic Games will be over the Grand Prix and the Grand Prix Special. Those two events will decide the winner of the team medals, and those teams are Australia, Canada, Colombia, Denmark, Spain, Great Britain, Germany, the Netherlands, New Zealand, Sweden, and the USA. The nations who are represented by individuals only are Antigua, Austria, Belgium, Brazil, Finland, France, Italy, Japan, Morocco, Norway, Poland, Portugal and the Ukraine. That makes up a total of 50 riders. And the Dressage Radio Show will be there in Greenwich this summer to bring you all the action. Down in Wellington, Florida this past weekend, things were really heating up at the Palm Beach Derby where Tina Willemsen, a recent guest here on the show, had a wonderful weekend. She won the Grand Prix with Favorite, and she was also second with our other horse, Divertimento. In third place was Tina Cognat with Collecto V, and fourth place, Todd Fetrich on Otto, and in fifth place, Heather Blitz with Paragon. And they went through to the Grand Prix Curtain Music, where Tina won again with Favorite, and in second place, Todd with Otto. And in third place, Heather Blitz with Paragon. So a big weekend for them. I know it was Heather's uh, debut in the Grand Prix Freestyle. So a great weekend for them. Congratulations to all those winners. If you were enjoying your dressage wherever you are in the world and at whatever level you compete. Well, that's our show for this week. I want to thank my guests, Lisa Lazarus and Wayne Channon. And thanks to our brand new sponsors here, Draper Therapies. This is Chris Stafford, and I will be back at the same time, same place next week. So until then, thank you all for listening. Thank you.